All right. Well, good evening, everybody. It's so good to see so many smiling, happy faces. I'm glad you're all at a table with some friends. I guess my reputation is in front of me now. This is the table I spit at most often, so that's why it's empty. <laughs> but we're so thankful you're here. Uh, my name is Dustin. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's always an honor and a pleasure to be able to speak God's Word. Um, and I love, I don't know, I just love worshiping. It's exciting. I love being here in community with each and every one of you. I feel like we need this midweek pick-me-up. It's just too and far in between to go Sunday to Sunday. So give yourselves a hand for being here on a Wednesday. For California, this is like death blizzard weather. So you guys made it on one of the, the coldest nights. I don't know. I, I'm just so excited. This, I don't know for what reason, this Wednesday. I'm bringing back, I was watching all day. This is going to, no part of the message whatsoever. It just lets you know how weird I am. But I don't know if you remember that Geico commercial with the camel and hump day. I was watching that over and over today. So I'm so excited. It's Wednesday. I'm wearing socks that have camels on them for hump day. So we're rebranding it Hump Day. We're excited to be here uh, to hear God's Word. So we are continuing on our study of Romans. And like Randy said last week, I don't even know when we started. I don't know when we're ending. It's a never-ending journey. But there's been so many good things coming out of Romans. There's so many great images to, to learn from. And so it's, it's going to be a, a fun chapter to close out, or fun, fun section in Romans 7, and that's what we're going to be continuing on. Randy, Randy did a great job setting us up last week. We learned uh, that we died with Christ. That was one of the main things I, I got to take away from, that we can no longer be condemned to die because of Jesus and what he did for us. The law can no longer condemn us. And since we are united with Christ, his spirit enables us to now do good deeds. We now serve God not by following a bunch of rules, but through our fixated and transformed hearts and minds now moving forward. We are trying to just follow and be like Jesus. That's the goal that we've been given here and now. We're not set to follow a bunch of rules. We're instead supposed to be Christ-like and live as he is a we are a representation of him. So those who die to their old selves and accept Jesus, a new life now began. Ones who don't follow Jesus have their own self as their source of power. We're going to be learning about something tonight uh, that seems that it's been going in a repetition. Um, as we go verse by verse in the Bible, we're going to see some themes that continue to represent themselves, that continue to come forward. And one of those themes that keeps getting driven forward is the law. And some scriptures that we've been reading says we're freed from them. Some say we needed the law. But we're going to learn what the law does for our life and how it actually brings forward this sin that we continually walk with. I'm the, the sin guy now, so I always get to talk about sin. Um, so I know all your deep, darkest secrets. So uh, it's going to be a great time. But I want to go back to what Randy closed with last time in verse 6, and that will kind of get us going to where we are tonight. So we're going to backtrack and go to Romans chapter 7, verse 6. It says, But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it, and no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, 
but in a new way of living in the Spirit. So as I was reading that, it just screams out we've been released of this law. We've been released from the law. We're no longer captive to its power. So we're getting away from this law moving forward. But I want to dig more into what this law is. It seems that there are some people that try to earn their way to God. And there are people that kind of use it as a checklist of these laws and these things, these rules going by. I did this, did this, and we keep trying to earn our way up to heaven. But being a part of God's family, we no longer need to earn our way. We just need to trust in him, become more like him, and keep our eyes fixated on him. Keeping these rules and laws you read over and over about in Romans doesn't save us. What saves us is looking and believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We will be motivated to be more like Jesus rather than checking off these items on a list as we're going to a store. But as we teach and speak about this, we need to make sure that we understand these laws and rules don't necessarily mean that they're bad. We're hearing that we're released from them, that we're not going to be a part of that anymore. That doesn't mean that these rules and laws are bad, and that's what we're going to be learning about tonight. We are, in fact, released from the law, but we needed the laws there as a guideline. We needed these laws in place so we know what the beginning point is. We know how to get right back to where we need to be. So these laws is something we've all experienced sometime in our lives, and we're going to jump into that in just a little bit. So if you guys are able to stand, we're going to start our scripture tonight. So we invite you guys to please stand. We're going to crack open those Bibles. We're going on this campaign where we want everyone to bring these beautiful books everywhere you go. So make sure next Wednesday, bring your Bible. Wherever you go to church on Sunday, bring your Bible. We have Bibles in the back if you ever need some. But as always, we're going to have them on the sky Bibles to the left and right. And we're going to be going through Romans chapter 7, verse 7. It says, well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to, to learn from your word, to praise you. Lord, may it not just end here, that we continue walking and praising you all the steps of our lives. You deserve so much praise, and, and we just thank you for the joy that you brought in our hearts. So we ask you to, to reveal yourself through this word tonight. Show us something new. Ease our mind of something we may not have understood before. But we just lift this evening up and all these amazing people to you, Lord. We lift it up in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. So as reading this, says, am I suggesting the law of God is sinful? He says, of course not. It's the law that showed me my sin. So it's these guidelines we need to follow moving forward. We have these laws that teach us the right way to get to Yahweh. I spent more time on that than the whole message. So that, you're going to hear that so many more times. So we have these rules and laws. That's what this whole thing's going to be about. Get it in your mind. Rules and laws, they can be a good thing. But what do they mean? I know when I read through this, it gets a little muddled. I keep hearing about these laws, these rules. What are we talking about? So we need to break it down in our own words. 
So this is going to be your very first table talk. You're going to get to know the people around your table. But make a list, verbally of course, of rules you've had to follow in your own life. Some of you have had a, a little more seasoned life than others. So you have a lot of rules that you've experienced in your life. But I want to know, just what are some family rules and laws that were passed down? What were some in school? What are some in your job? But go ahead, talk, get to know each other, and just start listing off some rules of what you had to follow in your own life. So we're a, a world that's set in rules. I know growing up, there was a few always laid down for me, like you have to finish all the food on your plate, or you're not getting dessert, uh, don't burn down the house, don't embarrass us. A few rules, some of them haven't gone too well, um, but we're so set in our rules, and there's for good reasons why. Like when you can remember as far back as you can, um, as in your childhood, your parents set down rules, or maybe it was your grandparents setting down rules and laws for you. Uh, this is what you can do to stay out of trouble. This is a good thing to do. Don't do this. Trying to set you up for a whole future of an easier transition moving forward. The younger you have these rules in place, the easier life will later become. You can remember that in school. That's what you do. The first day of school, you sit down, you get the grumpy old teacher looking at you, shuffling the papers, saying, all right, now we're going to set the tone for the whole year. And they set down these laws. Don't chew gum in class. Make sure you're on time for class, don't be tardy, finish your work, turn it on time, be a good person, only call or speak when you're called upon. Bunch of rules for school. Uh, don't make funny faces at the teacher. But we're trying to live out the right way to make things going. And it doesn't just stop at school, it continues on. So I, when you get a job, what's one of the first things you do when you're hired? It's like, oh, here's the guidelines of what you're going to do to keep your job that we just hired you for. So, show up on time. You're not leaving until all your work is done. Be a great employee. Uh, give 110 effort. Don't talk bad about the company. Don't sabotage everything. But one of the things that most workplaces do is they say, this guy knows what he's doing. He's really good at his job. Be like him. Follow him and shadow him for a week or two, or even a month. So they give you someone to shadow and learn from so that in the end, you're making a great business plan for them, but you're learning from all these rules and guidelines. The same things are even set in church. God set some of these laws and, and rules and commandments in motion. He had people help along the way, make sure that they were upheld and, and brought forward so we could all learn from them. We learn these sets of rules, you know, not to cheat, not to lie, not to steal, definitely don't murder, love one another. We learn these laws and understand the proper way to live, but we aren't set to stay in those rules and laws all of our life. At some point, we were supposed to graduate from having to continually go back to these laws because they're supposed to be etched into our DNA from here on out. That's what it means being done with the laws and moving forward in the spirit is that we've, we've understood these laws for so long that now it's, it's etched in us. It's a part of us. We're now doing more as Jesus would and we don't have to continually look back to what we're doing wrong or where we've come from because it's been installed in us at such an early age. We learn from them. We use them as a guide point and walk in the wholeness of God. So these laws are beneficial because we see that the law exposes our sin. 
The law is not sin. It exposes what's going on, the badness of our life. Now think about it. None of us would have any idea of God's standard if he wouldn't have brought it down from his word. If it had not been communicated to us and set down these laws, these rules, and these guidelines. We needed a law to help keep us level and bring us back to the point of where we needed to be. We needed a law to show us where we were falling flat or where we were losing some things moving forward. One of the ways that we continually move away from this law is the sin that's brought into our own lives. The sin that we continually carry with us. And one of the most profound areas of self-deception in our lives is what the scope of sin and what we carry with us every day in our lives, how bad our sin may be, and we kind of downplay a lot of the times. We barely see the tip of the iceberg when we're looking at ourselves in the mirror. By nature, we have a very high view of ourselves. And rightfully so, God made us just the way he wanted. We can justify almost anything that we do in life, right or wrong. We can have a snappy comeback of why we did that thing. We're very quick to blame someone else for the things that are dishonoring to God. And we are hopelessly biased in our own favor. If you don't think that's true, just examine your attitude the next time that you get into a disagreement with a loved one about something you know is wrong. It's amazing how heated I can get or how angry I can get even when I know I'm wrong. And that, usually my voice is able to, to rise up a little bit more. I speak a lot quicker, and I'm just defending myself, even though I know I'm wrong. We just downplay all these different things. So we can get a pretty distorted view of things. We can see a speck in our family member's eye, but we can't notice the log that's sticking out of ours. We know how to twist scenarios to make it look better for our behalf. Romans teaches us much of this issue of our flesh taking control. And the flesh is the reason why we continue moving back and forth from this spectrum of these laws. It's part of our sin nature. It's the, the very heart of our, our sin nature. We're going to see how this affects our relation to God's standard, but also the relationship to the law. This is something similar I talked about last time I was up here. We, we all have this fleshy desire because of Adam. We've all been passed down from that. And now it's something we have to live with and try to fix moving forward. But in Romans chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, it says, But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time, I lived without the understanding of the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life. Sin is such a, a big problem, and yet we turn so blind to it. Unless God gives us spiritual sight, we simply cannot see ourselves the way that we truly are from the inside. And what has he done to give us sight? He has given us his law. His standard of perfect righteousness to expose our sin and drive us to humility, but most importantly, drive us to our Savior. If we backtrack just a little bit to what we were reading just a moment ago in verses 7, 
Paul says it, and I want to put it all into context together. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. Our without Christ self, who we are, would have no idea about not coveting. And I, I personally can't stand that word because I kept messing it up at home. So I'm going to start using it in a, a description of what it is. It's a wanting of something, like of an, a healthy habit. Like you're lusting after it. You really want something. It's something that's out of your, your wheelhouse. You just idolize it and desire it. That's what coveting is. So if it weren't for that law showing how off base we are, we wouldn't know how deep we were into things already. See, the enemy in the world knows how fleshy we are. The world and the enemy understands what makes us up better than we know what makes us up. And so when we we get ready to change from always sticking to the law and we get ready to graduate and start moving forward and and being Christ-like, the world is ready to pounce on us to keep us in that very same place where we won't get spiritually mature. I don't know if you've noticed, but most of advertising around the world is designed to make you dissatisfied, discontented with what you have so you covet something else that you, you don't really need. They know how to tap into the sin we have. That's their job. They're looking for weaknesses in us to try to sell us something that we definitely don't need. I just saw all these awesome Super Bowl commercials. Did you see that some of the commercials that really got your attention had some eye-popping vision that really drew you in? They want to get to the appeal of a lustful eye and our lustful hearts that we have inside So these advertisers are trying to key in on it. As I was watching a different commercial, I just didn't even know that there was this lady that wasn't wearing too much and she was driving this spaceship of a car that had all these bells and whistles and this car looked really great. It didn't have a CD player. It had like MP3, is that MP3 even a thing anymore? I don't know. It had really cool music stuff, but it had these fancy wheels that the car looked amazing. And by the end of that commercial, I was like, man, I need that car. Now, some of you might say, well, what's wrong with desiring a new car, for example? Does God forbid that? Well, of course not. That's not the issue. But what God forbids is you being discontent with what you have. The discontent of, I have a really cool car that I have at home that gets me from point A to point B that I was really excited to have when I got it that actually has a CD player (laughs) that has all these great things. I never second-guessed it or questioned anything about it, but suddenly I was like, oh man, I really just need this awesome car so I can look even more sweet. It's just the way that that advertising gets us. It's a way the world is looking to bring us back to square zero. Is that even a thing, square zero? Point zero. I'm killing it today with the analogies. But the commandment also eliminated the, the looking for these lustful things. It also zeroed out just about all programming that we get to watch on TV. And don't come at me, because I love TV. If you looked at my Netflix watching history, It'd scare you because it's just all over the place. But 
If you've noticed, some of the top shows are trying to key in on all these demographics that aren't really great for us. Kind of what Barnett was talking about during communion. We see these different things being thrown at us. These shows that just typically go after sex and immorality and pleasure and greed and the list goes on and on. These lustful desires, this sin just keeps moving forward because we now think it's a part of our culture. That's a part of us that we can't get away from it. You can view those things as okay and move towards your fleshly desires. Now I want you to bear in mind to, to covet is to have an inner craving for something that's forbidden. As I get away from that word some more. You see, sin is more than just an external action. It's more than an outside thing. It's, it's dealing with our internal self at the same time. And we're all guilty of dealing with this internal behavior that we don't want to share with everyone, of course, because we don't want other people knowing what's going on inside of us. But I want to know. So that's our next table talk. <laughs> so <laughs> we are going to have some fun with this. I want you to open up. And this is, once again, every time I, I preach, I, I say this, we're not here to sit around judging each other going, ooh, did you know that they said that? We just want to open up in each other's lives. We want to get honest. We want to get real. So we're talking about this discontent. We're talking about not being happy. So are you discontent with some area in your life? And I mean an area where you perhaps feel like you've been treated unfairly or you feel as though God has given you a raw deal. Do you feel like you're missing out on something in life? That can be materialistic or it can be opposite of materialistic. So go ahead and talk. Open up. You get a, a good amount of time for this one. So thank you for getting honest and real with your table. Just a couple things that come to mind when I look at my past. Uh, I ask myself, well, was I jealous? Am I envious of others? Do I look after just becoming wealthy? Am I a sucker for those get-rich-quick schemes? Am I lazy? Do I have a sense of entitlement? If you... Ask yourself for a few of those. I can assure you, if you look close enough, somewhere behind all of that discontent, you will find an unhealthy desire. Paul says it was through the law that he came to understand that he was a sinner unable to meet the requirement of God. That's how he came to understand that he was a sinner, was through this law that was passed down. He explains he did not know what he was doing was coveting until the law said, you shall not covet. And so he got up one day and said, I will not covet. But then what happened to Paul? The sin began to produce in Paul. It was actually coveting of every kind. It was these unhealthy desires coming all over what he was trying to do. And those desires caused us to intently focus on the wrong things in our lives. Paul said, I got up and decided not to covet, but my rebellious flesh took over and caused me to do that in more ways than I could even think was possible. In verses 9 and 11 of chapter 7, it says, At one time I lived without the understanding of the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life, and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and it deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. So why did, 
this result in death for Paul? Paul found it to bring death because it showed how incapable he was in his own strength to obey. That's something a lot of us have to deal with. He says that sin deceived me. And one of the best tools that sin employs is that it deceives a person. It tries to, to trick them. And we look what happened in the Garden of Eden. We just get tricked. It's not the law against murder that causes the punishment, but the murder itself that invokes upon the sentence. I read this story that someone was ready to go to the beach, and they were so excited, and they walk up to the water, and then there's a sign that's put up that said there's sharks. And the guy's like, ah, sharks, that really ruined my day. Well, who's he going to get mad at? Is he mad at the guy that put up the sign? Or? No, that's what these laws are. That's, don't let that stop you. You're blaming the wrong person. If there's sharks in the water, I'm going to water. Don't get mad at the person putting up the sign. The law exposes sin, and that's necessary for the salvation to later occur. Romans chapter 7, verses 12 and 13 says, But still the law itself is holy. And its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. Well, Paul gives a picture of how the law is used for our salvation. These rules and these laws cannot sanctify us. These rules and these laws cannot save us. But it can expose our need for God's grace and his goodness in our lives. It exposes that we need him more than ever, and he's the one that can make it all happen. That's why a person has to understand that he or she is a sinner, completely unable to save ourselves. Once we realize that, we will understand the need of God's gracious gift of salvation. Once we humble ourselves and look to him, that's when the real stuff is able to happen. We must not put ourselves under a set of rules, but we must put ourselves under a person. We must put ourselves under the direction of Jesus Christ. We couldn't save ourselves any more than we can sanctify ourselves, so why have we foolishly decided to continue going back to our fleshly desires? We can't save ourselves. We just can't. God never said we could, but he can. And he said that he would. He always said he would. So say it with me. I can't do it. All right. That's a great motivational speech. We can't do it on our own. So let's just follow Paul's example. He's, he's laid this out beautifully from us. And Paul's someone that fell on his face. And the reason he goes and he preaches the good news all over the place, he's able to use his life as a testimony. See, this is where I went wrong. So you guys don't do the same thing that I did. Let's learn from it. If you have done the same wrong thing, I'm showing you that it's okay to move away from it. So let's look back at Paul. Before sin had not yet been provoked by a true grasp of the law. Paul felt very good about himself. He walked around with a chip on his shoulder. He's pretty high on himself. He was a Pharisee. He kept the law. He knew all about the laws from the start to the end. He was all about that. 
He fulfilled all of those externals, even though his insides were rotten. And he began to see that he was a self-righteous hypocrite later on in life. He believed that he could justify and sanctify himself by checking off these rules and these lists that he grew up with, that he would climb a ladder of all these check marks up to heaven for what he did. But when he understood the law, when he really understood and grasped what it was, suddenly sin became alive and he died to self. His sin went on a rampage. It, it made his resentment worse. It plunged him into this further rebellion. He began to see sin everywhere in his inward life. Sin was alive in him. And that was only visible to him from having the law come alive in his world. He saw corruption lurking in every bit of his being. In every room, nook and cranny in his heart, he saw where he was falling flat. And he realized that he was hopelessly guilty before God. And he was utterly helpless to do anything about it because that's who he was. When we use these laws as a checklist and an achievement ladder that we continue to try to climb, we miss the point. When we begin to lose focus and start letting those fleshly habits become normal everyday life, we're missing the point. When we take pride in ourselves, when our desires take over, we're missing the point. There's been so many times in the Bible, and yes, even when we do church, where I hear these stories. I hear about someone being so right, they're so sure of themselves, but yet they're so far off the mark. Paul thought he was doing the right thing, but he never graduated from learning the true meaning of getting away from the law and following Jesus to later on in life. Unfortunately, a lot of us have the same problem moving forward. I think the best way to, to learn from that is in Luke. As we go to chapter 18, and we're going to study verses 10 through 14. See, like I just said, he was a Pharisee. He was one of these people, and we get to hear this parable of two men who prayed. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, the robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. Checkmark, checkmark, pride, look at what I did. Definitely not this loser over here. Look at all the good things that I have done. There is a point in time that Paul would have looked at the scenario and said, that guy is right. He is correct. That's the way, the way that we're supposed to be. That's what the law is there for. So we can, we can follow all these things and check it off. But as we, we read on, this gentleman next to him, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
we have someone that's so skilled in the law that was totally missing the point. But it was the tax collector that truly understood the law. It truly understood the depth of his sin and what that meant in his life. Paul wouldn't have met that point yet. This Pharisee, the sin was still alive to him. It was alive in all his ignorance. He was alive in himself. But verse 14 says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The law had brought this tax collector low. It brought him to a place where he needed God more than ever. He recognized the depth of his sin and what was happening in his life. The tax collector standing some distance away couldn't even look up to heaven. He was aware of what was happening in his life and all he could do was just plead out to God on his knees, eventually looking up to the only one that could save him while the other person was standing up looking down at him, judging him. Because this man found hope in a savior and this one was relying on himself. Everyone who humbles himself shall be exalted. See the law of God for what it is and you will see yourself for who you truly are. Then and only then you'll be able to see who the savior is for who he truly is. And then and only then will you be truly amazed at the grace that God has given us. The law is good. It brought our sin and saw how we needed to change. But to this point, we must not be stuck in these laws. Yes, it was a guide point, but I said earlier, we needed to use this to graduate. So now we've been released from these laws because we are now living with one in Jesus Christ. It's etched in our hearts. It's etched in our souls. And we don't have to be overcome by that sin anymore. We have power over it because of Jesus so live like Jesus, and the laws will actually become an afterthought. You'll be so used to them from doing them for so long, they'll just be a part of who you are. So we thank God for the laws, and we thank him for our spiritual maturity that we continue to grow each and every day, and we realize who we are through Jesus, that we humble ourselves and come before him and know that we can't do it on our own, and we're so thankful that he never leaves our side. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these, these tough texts that shows us that, yes, there are times where we can be so far off, but also shows us how we can correct them and get closer to you. Lord, can, we just want to be close to you. We want to learn more from you. We want your wisdom. We want your light to guide us. We want these fleshly desires to just be a thing of the past. May we be content in you, Lord, because you give us all we could ever imagine. You've given us all we need. Sometimes it seems like we may be missing something, but maybe the only thing we're missing is more communication with you. So we ask you to continue working in our hearts. Transform us like only you can. 
Help us battle that enemy that continually looks for us to, to make a misstep, but we know that you're able to fight him off, Lord. So we thank you for all of our lives here. We thank you for the lives you've affected in the past and the ones you're going to work with in the future. We thank you that no one is left behind, that you will continue to work with each and every one of us, Lord. We love you and we thank you. It's your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.